Welcome and good morning again, and uh, it's really good to be back in the house. I want you to know that no matter where I'm at and what I'm doing or what we're doing, uh, when it comes to Sunday, we try to participate online, uh, but more so than that, there's just an emptiness of not being in the house and with y'all, and uh, so I thank God uh, for that opportunity. Uh, I'm supposed to be in Dallas right now. And uh, I just said, I can't go. I, I just couldn't go. I was supposed to go yesterday. I said, I can't go. I've got to be in the house Sunday. So Lord willing, I'm going to, after service, run to an airport and get there by this evening uh, to continue on with what God has given me to do my assignments in the Lord. For those of you online, welcome. It's good to see you. It's, well, good to be seen and good to know that you're there wherever you're at. And many of you participate throughout the week. Some that aren't here participate throughout the week on that uh, miracle of YouTube. I don't want to give YouTube too much credit, but that's, that's where you can find us at. And uh, we try to archive stuff. Somebody was just thanking me for having archived something. I don't do that. The video team does that. We thank you for that so that the series that you may want to access, you can. I don't intend to uh, start a series today, oftentimes I do. Um, I hear rumbling, do you hear rumbling? It's next door? Wow, that's, is that a boom box? It is, huh? Well, I'm gonna have to talk to the chief of police about that on Sunday mornings, aren't we? Father, we just pray for that soul, that person, Lord. Maybe they're booming some spiritual songs, I don't know. But Father, we just ask you, Lord, to touch them and to bless them and to let them get the residue of what flows from this place. Lord, we thank you for the Word of God. We thank you for a brief share, a breath of fresh air from Jerusalem to all of us, Lord. Father, we understand that that place has is not long distance to your throne room. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you have a connection that you've never stopped to that place. We're not sure how and what we do with that, but Father, we'll do our best as you call us upon it. Lord, thank you for simplicity of truth. Thank you, Lord, to bring the reality of your word and the reality of your time and the reality of this earth to us. That, Father, we don't look at things in a, only a historical basis. Or we don't look things confined, Father, to our own little spheres, but that we expand beyond those and understand what the kingdom is calling for and what you are doing in this time to establish your kingdom here on earth. Be blessed, O oh Lord. Thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. So unlike uh, most times, I just felt I wanted to sort of jump around a little bit and share with you uh, some of the impartation, some of the revelation. You know, sometimes it's just simply a, a confirming word, isn't it? Something confirming when we're in other places and seeing other things. Well, as uh, Laura Lee mentioned to you, our time uh, in country in Israel was very, very brief. You know, it is indeed a... Uh, uh, practically a day to get there. By the time you get up early in the morning and you make your way to the airport to the first phase and you travel to the next phase and then you wait there to get on the long journey into Tel Aviv, it's, it's a good 20 plus hours. And on the way home, uh, about 24 hours. So, you know, one day getting there, uh, we, hit, we hit the place, got into uh, our room, uh, got cleaned up, rested for about 35, 40 minutes and went straight to the studio. And uh, the TBN studios overlooking uh, Old City Jerusalem, uh, right there on the uh, plateau outside. And uh, I did three programs. Laura Lee finished the last one up with me, back to back to back to back. So it's by the grace of God that I, I'm not even sure what I said or what we did. We'll all have to see that at another time. Um, but it was, uh, it was power-packed. And the next morning, uh, I was up and uh, headed to the first place. And because of the requirements put on me, especially 
uh, in this time in Israel. I went to many different parts of Israel uh, on a flash speed. I was down in the Galilee. I was in Copernium. Uh, we were there with the mayor of Copernium. Uh, we were then in Netanya, which is about 30 kilometers away from Tel Aviv and Haifa area, and right on the beach, the Mediterranean Sea, uh, in another complex, and in Jerusalem, of course, across Judea and Samaria. Um, I was flown across in a helicopter in the hills and plains of Judea and Samaria and from Galilee to Jerusalem. First time I've seen it, uh, 500 feet off the ground or 1,000 feet off the ground. But the significance of that was, and of course where we were staying, we were put up in some really, really nice, uh, 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 a really, really nice place. We didn't suffer for the Lord in that place at all. Uh, and, and, and in Israel, if you've ever been there, especially modern Israel now, uh, if you go as a tourist or you stay in one of their hotels, they have what's called the, the uh, Israel breakfast. And the Israel breakfast is a buffet, it's huge. And uh, typically there's all kinds of things in it, lots of vegetables and, and things that are grown there in the land. And uh, you could just gorge yourself, which typically you have uh, a tendency to do because it's so good and it's so much. And uh, you see people bringing little plastic bags and taking some stuff and putting it in their purses or in their Jerusalem bags for their trip during the day. And, uh, and in the uh, Jerusalem breakfast, usually that sort of sets the day and then off people go. Well, for us, uh, it was an opportunity for us to be together before I had to head off uh, most of those days, except the uh, one day we did go on the Sabbath to uh, Samuel Smodge. He's the pastor of the Messianic Church of Jerusalem. I think you know Samuel. He's been here. He's literally... Uh, blood. He's, he's my little brother, if you will, and uh, we're that close. I don't think there's any two men closer on earth that are, aren't blood, blood than he and I. And uh, Samuel did some recording with me, and I just wanted to sort of impart to you and excite you about destiny. You know, and, and you know, we're a church that, that believes that God has us all together and individually on plans of destiny. They're written in the books of life, but we are the ones that can interrupt those things or we can abide and walk in those things. And it's not always clear cut, is it? Well, back in the early days um, of, of my walk in the Lord, um, I, was, I came to the realization that Jesus, Yeshua, was Savior back in 1980. And it was in 1984 that Laura Lee and I first went into uh, Israel, and the Lord had spoken to me we would, so we took together uh, what little money we had, and uh, off we went, first to Egypt and then to Israel. We literally limped into their pockets emptied. We didn't have anything uh, except a big smile on our face. We didn't know anybody, zero, no one. And uh, we had no agenda. We weren't on a tour. We went to Jerusalem, and all of a sudden, destiny began to unfold before us, and uh, we were right next to what now has become the International Christian Embassy Jerusalem's Feast of Tabernacles that has been going on since that time in 80, and uh, is still going on, and they'll be gathering Christians from around the world for the Feast of Tabernacles. We had no idea what it was. We didn't even realize, I didn't realize that Christians were going to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles, which is known as Sukkot in the Hebrew faith. And I saw, we saw all these people dressed up in, 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 in biblical gowns and carrying banners and dancers and going next door to the Benyaneahuma. Well, I knew the Benyaneahuma as the hall where the Nazi war crimes were tried. So to me, it was like, wait a minute, why are all these people going there? What's going on there? Well, it's a big symphony hall, a big meeting hall, and they were convening there. And uh, we walked into it and found our place up in the back, way in the back, and our mouths fell open. 
as we saw for the first time, worship with dance and music and a symphony and, and all the glamour uh, with flags. And, and there was over, I think at that time, 60 different nations and languages and, and uh, just an amazing, amazing, eye-opening thing. And the mayor, Teddy Colick of Jerusalem, came. And, uh, and I'll never forget the famous saying he said there that has been used many times as reverberated amongst uh, Christian tours and churches. And, and there was a backdrop of Jerusalem. And uh, uh, Dwayne, do we have that uh, backdrop of Jerusalem? Could we put the lights down? I sent him some stuff this morning. And uh, there you go. That, that is what the view of the old city, you see the dome on the rock. You know, isn't it amazing that the one thing that everybody recognizes Jerusalem for is the one thing that shouldn't be there? And, and that's that dome on the rock, which is, uh, you know, it's a whole different religion. And, uh, you know, it's, it, it's a real, but that's the thing that everybody goes, oh, that's Jerusalem, but that is the view of the old city uh, from the Mount of Olives. And the Mount of Olives is about 330 feet high. So it's about 330 feet high as pertains to the base of the old city. And we know the gates, and we know the prophecy from Zechariah, don't we? We know the prophecy that the Lord, our Lord, shall come, and he shall come again, right? And that he, his feet will plant on the Mount of Olives. There really is a Mount of Olives, and that Mount of Olives, he will then come down through the gate and into uh, Jerusalem. Now, you know, I, I, that just is, astonishes me. But to be there at that place and to look down and to ponder and to wonder and to receive the impartation that this isn't just history. This isn't fantasy. This is biblical truth. Now, Jesus already proved himself that whatever he says happens, right? I will rise again. You know, you kill this, you, this body, it will raise again on the third day. We know that all the prophecies about him and the things he said about himself have come true. While sitting there or standing in that area and being in that Mount of Olives, you then begin to grasp the reality of how close we really are to the return of the Lord. And there's so many reasons why you can, you can understand that, you know, 1948, one of the prophecies came true that was given thousands of years before. And that prophecy was who could believe the report that a nation would be born in a single day. And that is the nation born in 1948, proclaimed by the only time that all of the, the, the members of the United Nations voted unanimously for anything about Israel was to establish Israel as that place, a nation, a nation for the Jewish people. But the Jewish people had to go through what some believe, and I think also myself, potentially was Jacob's trouble. Jacob's trouble was prophesied. Now, you know, that becomes a, a big uh, theological debate and point of contention when you begin to divide different thoughts. And I won't begin to do that with you. There's names for those thoughts that determine or explain, hey guys, out in the fellowship, I see you and it's distracting me, okay? If you're going to take that, take it somewhere else. Thank you. Okay, you're in church. Respect church. So what happens is that you get contention and you get contention over things that people try to mold the prophecies of God and the, and, 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 and the Word and the Lord into other things. But let's just be simple about it. Jesus and the prophets said that he would leave from Jerusalem, and he's coming back to Jerusalem. And he would leave from that place of the Mount of Olives, and he would come back to that place of the Mount of Olives. And First of all, we had to have a nation that was once again uh, reaffirmed for Israel. And that nation was 1948. But also, as we understand in Revelation, at the moment that that nation was planted, 
its enemies would come to war against it, and that happened the very next day. And all of the Arab nations around it declared war on it. When you look at the survival of this little nation in the middle of a place, when you drive up to Jerusalem, there's these, these metal tanks and cars, little things that they made somewhere in the backyard of something in order to try to fight a war that they had no army for, no equipment for, no money for. And now some of them have been painted battleship grays because they, they oxidize and some are red and they keep them there as monuments. And even in 1984, when we first went, I was amazed that they had a, a highway that went up, although it went around and around and around to get up to Jerusalem. Um, but now, uh, d do we have the tunnel? Did, did he get the tunnel online? No. All right, well, next week or another time. Now, they have carved through the, t the mountains into Jerusalem. And there are two magnificent tunnels. You break out of the one and you go right into the next one. And all of a sudden you come out and there's Jerusalem. And as I was going through that tunnel, I began to, to take a video of it because I just felt the eerie presence of the Lord. And I said, Lord, this, this, is, you know, this is more for me than just a tunnel. What am I experiencing? And then I received from the Lord, prepare the way for the coming of the Lord, son. Make straight. In the desert, a highway. There's a highway now that's straight to Jerusalem to where our Lord is coming back. There wasn't one there 40 years ago. It's there now. And I realize that's a generation. And I realize that we are that generation. Now, you say, Pastor, that's profound. You know, so many people have said it. Yeah, but. Not everything has been done that's supposed to be done that's now that's done. And the Lord had promised that through different prophecies that have come true, recorded prophetic word of, of, the, of the minor prophets, the major prophets in the word of God that have come through that in the desert, in the desert place, out would come life, flowers, trees, vegetables. You drive through Judea and Samaria and you look and all of a sudden in the middle of the dry area there's crops that are growing and they've, they've been able to harness the science and, 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 and the ability to grow stuff in, in desert land, in area that's arid and out of it, you know, they irrigate and they began to desalinate water years ago because they realized they didn't have enough water, and so they have water to spare in the country, whereas all the countries around them. Do you know that, like in Jordan, which is just, you know, right there, it's right there, Jordan's close, do you know that they get water that come through their pipes only three days a week? Monday, Wednesday, Friday, or Saturday. And they have to collect the water out of those pipes, and that's it. But in Jerusalem and in Israel, there's enough water to water the plants and all that's there. The favor of God, the land of milk and honey, the place that God has restored and recalled as his place. And there's an inner, inner commitment to survival of all of the people in Israel. One thing, you know, it's like anywhere else, right? I mean, the old, old, old joke that we used to have was that, you know, if you put uh, three Jews in one room and, and had a debate, you'd end up with seven different topics. And it's, that, it, it's certainly a, a very vibrant community with people who has all kind of diverse opinions about all kind of things, but they are unified when it comes down to the survival of their country and their people, and that they shall never, ever again be subject to something like the Holocaust. So out of that Jacob's trouble came forth something that's birthing. And that birth pain of, of the Jews, of, of Hebrews, of, of Israel coming forth again is, is, is both joyous and it's also terrible. And you feel it while you're there. You feel it while you're there. And when you take that flight, I mean, you could see it anywhere, but that flight that I took between Galilee and Jerusalem, I mean, just off to my left, Gaza, 
off to my left a little further, Lebanon, on my way up, and I could see the dividing line of how close the, 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 the enemies of Israel are, those who have determined and declared that they don't want to just live with people in Israel. They want to destroy Israel. You need to understand something. It would be like in Pennsylvania and, and the people living in Newcastle or Butler or Allegheny County would say, we're going to destroy everybody living in Mahoning County. They need to go. That's what we're talking about. And we read in the news about these little rockets being shot into Israel and now they've got longer range on them and they can hit all throughout different areas shot by people or balloons filled with inflammants that, that come out and when they hit they burn the trees that they're trying to grow in Israel. And the, the commitment by Iran and others that says that you know we're going to destroy them. The reason they want the nuclear bomb isn't to protect themselves in Iran. It's to destroy Israel. And they don't want to finish with Israel. They want to throw the Saudis in. Because the one thing about that faith is there's two different factions. And the one faction hates the other faction. Right? And so they're not going to be satisfied with one or other faction. We need to understand that, you know, we live in that kind of a time that we're, at moments, things are just a push of a button away from all hell breaking loose. And... Yet, when you're walking in the Spirit of the Lord and you're in that place, there's a presence and an excitement that's beyond anything I can explain. We can put the lights back up for a minute because I'm going to try to show something else. And when some people go to Israel for the first time, and it, it, it's funny because I was... Uh, enlightening some of the team from TBN about it. They didn't know about it, even though there's a TBN studio. I've been there, I don't know how many times, at least over 40, 45 times, I don't count. I've been there a lot. But there's something called the Jerusalem Syndrome. And just perfectly healthy Christians, they get in a plane, they land in Israel, Something begins to kick inside of them. They get all excited. They see the old city. They begin to hear about all of the places where Jesus walked, where the, the patriarch's tombs are. Everything comes alive. You know, where, where the, the earth stopped out in the plains. And all of that stuff comes alive. Well, sometimes a few people, they, they go over the edge a little bit, and they begin to dress like Jesus. Or they begin to dress like John the Baptist. And they begin to say, repent, repent. And they're out on the street and they're, they're convinced that, you know, they are somehow somebody that's got a message for the Jews in Israel. And they walk around and, and, and they look like they came out of another movie. And eventually the police come and they get them. And they take them to a place where they detoxify them from their experience. How do they do that? Well, first of all, they feed them, and then they begin to tell them that you're not the only one that's ever been this way, and then they have found out that the best thing to get somebody delivered of that is to send them home, because the minute they get out of the environment, they come back to being the person that they were. I want to assure you that I have not fallen to the Jerusalem Syndrome, that when I tell you I'm excited and my spirit gets excited, it's it's knowing the connectivity of the assignment of God in the time that we live in, cultural roots coming alive, and realizing that everything that's in this book, everything that's captured from Genesis to Revelation is true, and that for most parts, it's all about that little geography. It all relates to that little geography. In that helicopter peering out the window, reading in the scripture that this was the place where it was declared for the earth to stop for the battle. There's the hedge of trees that he was sitting in as he was looking up on that roost. When you're looking and you realize uh, with the mayor of Copernium, who's a Jew, but he loved to hear from the Christians that it was the second home of Jesus. Because why? Because that's sellable, that's marketable, right? They want the people to come down there and to be able to experience it and to spend some shekels 
and, and to help the local economy. But it was the second home of Capernaum. Now, you see, in this particular setting, ah, it's okay, you know, people have second homes around here. You know, you got a cabin up at Lake Erie, you got a trailer over here, you got a home down in Florida. You know, you got, a lot of people have second homes, but you don't understand something. Jesus didn't have a home. This was where he hung out, was in Copernium. And that was the place he chose because it was right at the lake. And it was a place that's serene. It's a place where he could get away from everybody else. How did he get there? And how did he go back to the other places he went to? On foot. On foot. Now, we don't know if there was a four-legged creature that he used sometimes to walk places. And it doesn't seem long, but think about it this way. I was traveling at probably 120 miles per hour, and it took us 40 minutes, 35, 37 minutes, to get from Copernium to Jerusalem. Do the math. That's, you know, that's a good... And that's as, the, that's as the crow flies, right? It's a good 100 miles. But he had to walk through all that stuff. So when it says that he came to Jerusalem or that he went to some of the other places and that we have to realize that this man, our Lord, was tugging these disciples around with him to a lot of places. I think we could appreciate that Peter probably hadn't been to some of the places that Jesus took him to, right? He was a fisherman down off of Copernium and in Galilee. And we also understand that, you know, when he, when he gave us the Beatitudes, there's a real place that's close to the Golan Heights where he stood, and that place echoes a voice because it comes and hits the waters, and it amplifies naturally. And Jesus stood there and gave us the Beatitudes. But then it came to his time to be crucified for his passion. And we get the all of it, Mount Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24 and in other parts of the Gospels. And in that, he begins to lay out the last days, the end times. And if people would just read what he said, there wouldn't be as much confusion about it with everybody trying to put in their own ideas about what it is, right? If you just read what he said, the bottom line, it comes down to a fig tree. He says, when you see this fig tree, that's how he ends it. And you see that in its season, it's beginning to give its leaves, and it's about ready to, to, to generate its fruit. Know that the time is at hand. The time is at hand. And of course, he was talking about the last days, the end times, and then he told them he would return. So I will come back. And he told them, his disciples, this was for his four of them, by the way, who asked him, he was telling them about what to expect to happen. We would do well to take some time and to read that. And then, of course, you can blend that in with Isaiah 60 and a few other things, and you begin to get an understanding of the time we live in and what to expect. But this I can appreciate and tell you. I don't think anybody, even that's secular and doesn't really walk with the knowledge of the Word of God, or walking in obedience to God. I don't think that it takes much to convince people we live in some very difficult times. I don't think it takes much to convince people that there's a lot of division and that the family core is, is under attack completely. Our children are under attack completely. Our heritage is under attack completely. And that's just not linked to politics here in this country. It's all over the world. It's all over the world. Talk to some people in some countries right now who love the Lord and tell them that you know, they're living in, in, in bounty and the beauty of the blessings of God. And they'll look at you and say, really? I haven't had a dinner and anything to eat in three or four days. My body's sick. My children died. You know, we're sending a small team to, to Kenya and into the Samburu area and one of the things that's close to uh, where the church is with, with one of our Touch Heaven churches with Bishop Vincent in Sambaru in the wilderness is a village. And in that village, it's mostly children. 
last time that we were really there was about four or five women to tend to the children that survived their parents dying from AIDS. And go and tell them that, you know, their life is full of blessings in Jesus Christ. They, they're just looking for another bowl of rice tomorrow or the next day. They're just looking for some, something sustainable that they can have some hope and joy in their lives, children. And the amazing thing about it is the blessings of God and the blessings of children, you watch them and they can still play with the most rudiment things, a stick, a stone, something that means something to them to play with. We're very blessed, but we're not blessed just to live and be blessed. We're blessed to bless. And we have a call on our lives. And never before, I believe, studying Scripture, studying the different dispensations, studying uh, a lot of reading, a lot of books, a lot of testimonies that go back hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, studying philosophy, all those things that for some reason have been poured into me throughout the years. I don't think there's a time like this that's ever been in history, nor will be again, as things are heating up for the return of the Lord. And all the things can change in a flick of an eye. What we believe is a standard and a norm and a security today could be gone tomorrow. We see it. It's throughout the earth. I was just musing, and I don't mean this to, to, to make light of the tragedy of what happened you know, with the pandemic, but I was sort of musing as I walked through and I saw our little things that you can you know, use antiseptic on your hands or do whatever you want to do with them. We have them here. They're still filled. I can remember when... It came down and they said, you know, you can't have any public gatherings and that includes churches. And I can remember the sleepless nights I had twisting about, geez, you know, how, how, do, you not, how do I not open the house and what do we do and no thing shall come against you, nothing will harm you, but yet we want to be obedient. But, you know, yeah, it's real. I mean, there's a virus out there, but we, and then finally we just decided after the second week, we just met here as a worship team and who wanted to come, the doors were open and who didn't, they weren't. And I was thanking the Lord that we don't have to be afraid of an invisible enemy. Amen. This morning I was thanking him. And I was thanking the Lord that, that death can't conquer us. Death can't conquer us. If, if we're walking in the Lord, we're not afraid. We're fearless of death. And then, and then, I reaffirmed what I received as I was by myself over in a corner in Copernium, got away from all the noise, all the, all the busyness, the construction. There's a hotel that's being built there I was sent to assess. And I looked out over the Galilee. I said, Lord, you really walked on these waters. You really did. I'm not just looking at a lake. I'm not getting in a boat just to go sing hallelujah. I can almost see you walking on these waters. I can see that you went to the maniac, the demoniac filled Genesaret. Do you know there's a little place there where Jesus delivered that poor wretched fellow who was so filled with demons and cutting himself, he really did deliver him. And he cast all those demons into pigs, right? And the pigs ran off and there's a little cliff. They ran into the water and drowned themselves. There's a little place with a little wooden stand that calls itself the Church of the Swine. I don't know whether it was humor. I don't know whether it was, you know, something that some Catholic monastery did. I don't know what it was, but there's really a place there called the Church of the Swine where they jumped in the water and destroyed themselves. And as I looked at that, 
happens to be at the same time of my 70th birthday. And I really looked at that. And you know, I, I don't give in to age or illness or any of that stuff. You know, I feel good. Do I get aches and pains? Of course I do. But I've been getting those a long time. Do I have things try to come on me? Absolutely. I'm not superhuman. But you know, I know who I am and what I'm called to do, and I haven't gotten there yet. It's called an assignment in the Lord. It's called destiny. My prayer for you is that your destiny, you may not know clearly, but you feel it tugging. Go with it. Go with your destiny. 1984, I had no idea there was one Messianic believer in Israel. I had no idea there were Christians who understood what it meant to be a Christian Zionist and to believe the call of God back to Israel. I wanted to go to a church, a Messianic church. There was only one, Messianic Church of Jerusalem. Founded by an older man who passed away named Smaja. Now his son's the pastor. I didn't understand a thing in there, very little. It was nothing like rabbinical church here, or temple here. Completely different. But I said, well, it's here. Now there's over 200 Messianic congregations in Israel. 200. And I know most of those people. I know a lot of them because they came up through the fold there. And I'm thinking to myself, wow, when I first came here, they weren't even here. And now we know each other. It's almost like a a body of Christ in Israel, not of Gentiles, but of Jews. And I went back to that church, my wife and I, and they're singing and praising the Lord with their hands up. When I was there in 84, they were like this. And they have babies being born and youth coming forth. And the old remembered me from the first time I was there and I remembered them and we got older together and now I see their children and there's children's children oh my God what the Lord has done and what he's going to do I'm so blessed to live in this era and in this time and to see it my prayer for you and for me, for all of us, is that we have the spirit of Issachar at Ziklag. David establishing the new Davidic kingdom, hiding in the rocks of En Gedi. But yet the people came. The warriors came. The administrators came. The food tenders came. The livestock shepherds came. But there was one tribe, the tribe of Issachar. And it said these warriors, they could fight with their left hand and their right hand. Now what does that mean? It means they were using their full mind. The left wasn't crossing to the right and the right to the left, it was focused. And they came and it says, they knew the time they lived in and what to do. That's my prayer for you, for me, that we know the time we live in and what to do. And then do it. So as I'm looking out, Copernium, walking around, getting alone as often as I could, which wasn't easy. Just to get a word, just to decompress, just to breathe the air. Look it up. Fully transparent. Lord, you know, why, why, why did you give me birth in 1952? Why not 1982? Why not a younger man? 
for what you've called me to do. And when? And it was as if, I know it sounds strange, I didn't see, I felt the smile of the Lord, almost a laugh. And we had this dialogue. Do you know about Abraham? Oh yeah, Lord, I know that. Do you know about Moses? Oh, of course, Lord, I know about Moses. Do you know about Isaac? Yes, Lord, I know about Isaac. Do you know about Joshua? Joshua? Yeah, Lord, I just read scripture flying over the plains when the sundial stopped. Yeah, I know Joshua. Listen to this. The book of Joshua, chapter 14. Chapter 14, verse 7. (laughs) It's going to encourage you no matter your age and who you are. Joshua, chapter 14, verse 7. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought back word to him as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt, but I wholly followed the Lord my God. Listen to that. Everybody else put fear in the people. Everybody else didn't understand the path of destiny and the proof and the truth and the promise of God. They were my brethren, but they didn't get it. They didn't understand the time that we lived in. And they let fear stop them. Maybe it wasn't only fear. Maybe it was they didn't want to give up their 60-inch television, their air-conditioned home, a freezer that works with food in it, comfort for their lives. Maybe... They just didn't want to change. It was okay where they were at because the thing that you have, at least you know. Maybe it was that spirit that was still in them from when they came out of Israel. I'm sorry, out of Egypt. And not too long in the desert, they cried out and said, why, Moses, did you take us here? It was better where we were as slaves. Let us go back there and we'll just take the punishment of whatever they give us make bricks again and build pyramids and watch our children die at the hands of ruthless slave masters. And Moses swore on that day, verse 9, saying, Surely the land where your foot has trodden shall be your inheritance and your children's forever because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. He didn't say that to all of them. He said it to Joshua. Joshua needed to hear it then because he was a robust young warrior, 40 years old. He'd rather go in there with a big sword and fight those giants because he was called. He knew the time he lived in and he saw what the promise of God was. He, He agreed to it. He united with it. He was committed to it. And because of that, he received a declaration on his life. Your inheritance and your children's will receive these promises forever. That's true to you and me today. That wasn't God just respecting Joshua for obedience. God's not just a respecter of a person. He's a respecter of the promises of God to all who obey him and answer the call. And because you have wholly followed the Lord. You know, I'm hearing some different things in in the kingdom and in the body right now. I've always been since the Lord saved me strange. (laughs) I've always been sort of out of the flow. 
out of the main line. I don't fit. And for a while, I tried to fight that and change that, and then I became okay with it because I accepted who I was. And then I became grateful for it. said, Lord, you've preserved me. You've preserved me. Let me be holy. Teach me. Just recently, I heard a man with a very, very, very big ministry. Very, very big. Huge church. I saw him ponder and meditate for a moment in front of his people, and he said, you know, God isn't really impressed with a big church. What God's impressed with is a repentant heart. I said, thank you, Jesus. Let it become a river that flows throughout the body of Christ. Let us take our eyes off of the things of ministry and put them on you. Who you are. Who we are. Next verse. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive. This is Moses. As he said, oh, this is Joshua, I'm sorry. As he has said, these 45 years, ever since the Lord spoke the word to Moses while Israel wandered in the wilderness, and now here I am this day, this is Joshua, here I am this day, 85 years old. Now listen to what happens. As yet I am as strong as this day is on the day that Moses sent me. Ha <laughs> ha! Just as my strength was then, so now is my strength for war, both for going out and for coming in. Strong and then gone. Some of you wonder, where did Frank ever get that? Because he took, that's where I got it. Strong to do what you've called me to do and then gone. Nothing in between. What it tells me and what the Lord spoke to me then, I laughed with him. I didn't, a lot of times I have to repent, say, Lord, I'm sorry. But he was laughing, so I laughed with him. I laughed with him over the plains where Joshua stopped time to do his assignment. I was over those plains laughing with God. said, Lord, I'm a puppy. We got all kind of time, Lord. Don't listen to me. Just keep me strong. Keep me strong to go out and to come in and to do what you've called me to do. That's my prayer for you. My prayer for you. Don't let go. My wife will tell you she's here. There were times I went were very hard financially and on my family. Mikhail's born. Ten days later, I'm arrested in the Soviet Union on a mission of God, not knowing if I'd be back to see my family again. It was hard. Very hard. Many times it's so difficult to do the thing God calls us to do in our mind that we fail to do it. The few times that I didn't go when I should have, I regret them to this day. The few times I haven't given somebody the word of the Lord because I wanted to be too polite, I regret them to this day because that might have been the word that made the difference for them. My admonishment to you and to myself, do not live with regrets. Wash them away and make a commitment and decision in your life. I will regret no more. I will follow the Lord. But let me tell you something. When you do, and I can say this with experience now, it's one thing that As you get older, you have the right to experience. 
You young pups, you don't have it yet. You may think you do, but you don't. You may think you got something figured out, but guess what? You're going to get a whole new mindset on it pretty soon. One thing experience has taught me. Looking back sometimes, when I've been obedient to the Lord, wow, what He has done. When I've gone to places He told me to give, there were divine appointments that this day network with me that taught me what not to do and things to do. Hmm. Just as my strength was then, <laughs> now is my strength for war, both for going out and for coming in. Bless the Lord. Father, thank you, Lord, for something fresh. Thank you, Lord, for the revelation and the truth and the proof. Thank you, Lord, that you're coming back. Father, I know you're coming to Jerusalem, but somewhere on your list, put Canfield too, will you please? Put Pakistan on there, Father. Put Africa on there, Lord. Put India, Lord. Put Australia. Certainly put California, Father. God, we know we need you there. Father, we thank you, Lord, that for some reason, beyond our comprehension, which we will not know until the day we are face to face with you, you have elected us to be alive in this day and in this hour. An hour of kingdom consequences for the whole earth. Father, let thy kingdom come here on earth even as it is in heaven. Let us know what to do. And Father, if we have a question, just nudge us. Nudge us like the mama bird in the nest that finally pushes her babies out to fly. Let us free fall in faith to believe you, to do what we can do. It may seem small, it may seem trivial, it may not seem as mainstream and as big as some others are doing, Lord, but for you, thank you. Let us be truthful. Let us walk in holiness, purity. Thank you, Father, for everything that you are for us. And help us, Lord, to be what we can for you. In Jesus' name, amen.